From the studios of Advancing Vibrant Communities in Modesto, California, this is Lighthouse Live Radio on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. And good evening to you, wherever you may be. Welcome to Lighthouse Live. Pastor Mike Douglas here, along with our producer and co-host, Elaine Harlan, and our faithful prayer intercessor, the inimitable Mr. Owl, with us as well. And uh, Elaine, special guest tonight mm-hmm. as uh, as we look at uh, emergency preparedness and emergency response mm-hmm. and uh, the dedication that's involved in that process. Absolutely, yes. We're excited to have the Modesto Chief of uh, Fire Department, uh, Chief Miguel. And, you know, uh, Chief, we'll get to this in just a couple of minutes, yes. but, you know, it used to be you throw the wet stuff on the red stuff. But uh, <laughs> I like that. You know, the <laughs> fire service has come a long way, you know, oh, since those early days and, and far more complex and complicated than it used to be. We'll be talking about that in just a few minutes. Right now, though, friends, let's check in with our friends from Voice of the Martyrs. What will people be when they Hey, what's up? This is Michael Tate with the story of another real-life Jesus freak. It's 1996, Sudan. Philip is taken to a military barracks along with 35 other Christians. For 11 days, he and several others are bound, beaten, and burned as government soldiers try to convert them to Islam. Refusing to deny their faith in Christ, many die from the extreme torture. Finally, Philip is released, but still he carries the scars from the burning log pressed against his chest. He survived the torture by praying, God, I will never forget you. I know you are with me. Philip offered his body as a burnt offering to the Lord, and he lived to tell the story. For more stories from the Voice of the Martyrs, go to persecution.com. You know, Elaine, we say uh, many, many times that we are so blessed in this country uh, to be able to gather and and freely worship and uh, exercise our our respective uh, faiths and uh, yet there are places in the world where that is not the case, and that is something we cannot take uh, for granted. Again, you're listening to Lighthouse Live on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. A special welcome to those of you listening to us overseas, and we know we have listeners uh, in Tehran. Yes, we do. And uh, in, uh, also in Iraq, and uh, we're just so pleased. Israel. Israel, that uh, you're uh, you're able to join us. And again, our special guests uh, tonight are uh, uh, Modesto Fire Chief Jim Miguel, mm-hmm. also Dale Butler yes. here with us as well to uh, explore uh, many, many of, of, of the aspects of emergency response and emergency preparedness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Elaine, you, you respond to things no matter who you are. You respond to things 
the way you train and mm-hmm. the way you plan. And if you have no planning, then emergencies tend to be a pretty tough time. But if you have a plan in place, uh, why things uh, go, go much easier. And uh, so we'll be talking about that in just a couple of minutes. We also want to inform you about uh, uh, a great event coming up on February 12th. That's uh, February 12th, 2008. That's a Tuesday, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Brad Dacus from the Pacific Justice Institute will be out here again. Those of you who joined us last year, that was just an absolutely incredible seminar. Whether you're a pastor, you're uh, an official in a nonprofit organization, or you're just interested about how the laws today affects uh, ministries and, and nonprofits, this is a wonderful seminar, and it's free. Free. And uh, to all my pastor friends, it's free food. So I, I know you'll be there after that. But uh, let's check in now with, with Brad Dacus. Well, Brad Dacus, Pacific Justice Institute, we have the opportunity again to have you folks down here in Modesto on February 12th and kind of give us a bird's eye view, a thumbnail sketch of what we can expect this year. I tell you, Mike, we're, we're very excited about this. Um, this uh, seminar, it's a, for pastors. Um, we're it's, uh, we're going to be covering a lot of real substantive issues that churches are going through um, to help them on the defensive side. Some laws have come down. Some cases have come down that could really uh, negatively impact churches who are not aware of, uh, of, of, you know, of how to deal with certain situations with regards to potential employee issues and attendee issues. Um, and most importantly is we're going to be touching on some proactive evangelism opportunities that we see uh, have opened up even more and some, some great opportunities for churches to really impact their communities um, and to expand their youth departments, and et cetera. So we're, we're really thrilled about it. Um, it's going to be challenging, and, uh, and you know, it's also going to be something that I think that we're going to see many uh, pastors come away with, with um, you know, concrete information they can really understand and use. So we're really looking forward to it. And last year there was such a great reaction to this, Brad. I mean, people came uh, not only from churches but from nonprofits and from uh, ministries as well, uh, business administrators, board members. I mean, this this information really is uh, tremendously valuable to everyone. And a lot of people had a couple of aha moments, so I didn't know that. And uh, so we right. so much appreciate this and look forward to you coming down. Again, friends, you can contact Brad at one triple eight three zero five nine one two nine. That's Pacific Justice Institute, and his website, www.pacificjustice.org. Well, Brad, we look forward to seeing you back here on February 12th, and we'll look forward to that. Thank you very much, Michael. Looking forward to it. And just a reminder, friends, if you'd like to contact us about that seminar or for any reason, or if you'd like to find out about new opportunities to serve in our area here, you can call us at 209-544-9571. That's 209-544-9571. Or check out our daily update page at www.vibrantcommunities.org and click the little red flashy thingy and it'll take you right there. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, before we get to the uh, Volunteer Center of the United Way, the Lend Hand List this week, we want to take a moment to thank the volunteers and the partnering churches and friends who came out to the ABC last Thursday and joined Amen. us for the picnic. What a Wasn't great that time. A fun time. That was. And especially want to thank Dr. Robert <clears throat> and Connie Chen 
for the wonderful job that they did and uh, just pr- the preparation for all of that. And, and we had your favorites, time. burnt hot dogs. Oh, you know, that was really cool. Of As carnivores, I thought that was pretty cool, but that's all right. We had green leafy stuff for those of you who didn't want that. We just had a great time. But let's take a look at the opportunities to serve and move on, shall we? Let's just move on, Mr. Al. The series Partnership for Healthy Children, speaking of more meat-eating opportunities, they are having their 10th annual Family Resource Fun Fest coming up. That happens October 20th on a Saturday from 11 to 3. It takes place at Whitmore Park in Ceres. This is another free event. We like that word. And they're going to be uh, having all kinds of fun games, activities, prizes, food once again. Uh, this is a family resource uh, time. Uh, great fun to be had by all. Volunteers are needed, and this is where we come in, friends, uh, to help out with the setup, cleanup, uh, decorating, balloons, refreshment stands, games, a bounce house. That'll be a lot of fun. Face painting and lots more. Uh, again, flexible shifts are available between 8 and 4. Uh, volunteers ages 14 years and up are needed. The series Partnership for Healthy Children promotes family unity, healthy choices, and proper parenting techniques and provides real help for families in need. And uh, ABC volunteers, uh, we want to just uh, contact Myra, and she's at 541-0101. Again, that's area code 209 541 Now, the Modesto Blind Bowlers, if you love bowling, you could be a pin spotter, and Pastor Mike knows all about pin spotters. If they just quit using me as the pin, it'd be all right. I've talked to Marty about that several times. Our friend Marty just loves this. League of Vision Impaired Bowlers. Volunteers ages 15 years and older. What you do is you just let the bowlers know the number and the order of pins left standing after each throw and kind of keep track of the game and the score. Uh, The league meets on Saturdays through the end of April, so this is going for a long time. That's just an opportunity to have a great time. And uh, uh, it's, uh, the times are from 12 noon until 1.30. takes place at the McHenry Bowl in Modesto. Training is provided. You don't have to worry about that. The Modesto Blind Bowlers promotes the sport of blind bowling and a partnership opportunity. And this is what it's all about, friends, uh, for both vision-impaired and sighted individuals. So we just encourage you uh, to take part in that. And uh, you can put your computer and bilingual skills to work. This is a great opportunity with the Stanislaw County Library. With the Bridges to Technology program, volunteers are needed to provide computer training, uh, application, and Internet use assistance to library customers. This is a one-to-one assistance uh, to customers at computer terminals. Uh, to assist with class preparation, uh, to lead computer workshops and curriculum design. Uh, Classes are usually about an hour to an hour and a half in length and are scheduled twice monthly. Now, volunteer training is provided here. Once again, schedule uh, is flexible. Volunteers who are fluent in Spanish and English uh, are needed to translate current computer classes into Spanish and create additional class materials in Spanish. So familiarity with computers, computer terms, uh, Microsoft uh, software programs, and Internet is desirable. Uh, Bridges to Technology is a program created by the Stanislaw County Library in partnership with the Great Valley Center, uh, Central Valley Digital Network, and the Corporation for National Service to address the area's digital divide. And the program promotes access to technology and information to all people in Stanislaw County. So that's a, a great way to get involved and to help people out. So we would just encourage you 
uh, to do that. And if you have any questions on any of these opportunities to volunteer, and we hope that you will take advantage of these, call our good friend Barbara Borba. She's at 209-524-1307, extension 113. Again, she's at 209-524-1307, extension 113. Or you can always give us a call here at 544-9571, and we'd be uh, always happy to help you out. Also want to encourage you, there is a, a huge need uh, and a tremendous opportunity for you to make a difference in the justice system right here in the county where you live. Uh, needed right now are volunteers in the family justice system, in the court watch program uh, to monitor and become involved in justice. Uh, also needed are volunteers to answer phones. And all you need is a heart and an interest to serve in justice and to submit to a background check. Uh, all you have to do is contact Carol Shipley. She's at 209-525-5550. Again, that number is 525-5550. And, uh, you know, he tells us in Isaiah 117, learn to do right, seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. So we would just uh, encourage you to do that if you have a heart to do so. Well, Did you know? That I this is fire, we are probably, well, that's why I'm bringing it up. <laughs> did you know that this is fire prevention month? I do know that. You did, yeah, I absolutely. And, and, and you know, one, one of the uh, things that, that you realize if, if you watch the news a lot and if you've uh, been involved in the fire service, and that is, you know, coming in on October and November, we're, we're ending kind of the, the season of uh, the big wildfires and fire season mm-hmm. kind of heads into that November time. And uh, we often get these reports from uh, Southern California, Northern California of many fires. But uh, there are a lot of things that we can do in our own communities, in our own neighborhoods mm-hmm. that don't make the news, but uh, can, can really help us prevent fires and uh, save lives. That's and right. today uh, we have the opportunity to speak with uh, our local fire chief, Jim Miguel and uh, Dale Butler as well to talk about these things. And who better to kick off this month than the fire chief himself and we just want to welcome Chief Jim Miguel and uh, Dale Butler of the LEC. Dale chairs the Latino Emergency Communications Team. We just want to welcome you both. Thank you for joining us. Very grateful to be here. Thank you. Grateful for you uh, carving out this special time. And, uh, uh, Chief, I know that we, uh, and Dale, we we all uh, attend uh, here with ABC uh, a lot of the same meetings and preparing for disasters and fires as Part of that, but as we're looking into October, I can't believe it's October already. We were just talking about that earlier. How did I'm that still happen? Back in June. I, I <laughs> oh, you're still back. The- Never mind. <laughs> no, we won't right. go there. I'm sorry. <laughs> October. That's why they already. put me as the pin in the blind bowler <laughs> no. things. You know, if it's not the bowlers, it's the co-host. You know. Uh, go ahead. October, and it, we do concentrate traditionally. Uh, in our, our country, we observe October as fire awareness. What things do we want to be aware of, Chief? Well, we're getting into to a season, to uh, the holiday seasons. We're getting into the winter. Um, both of those are, are potential hazards if we're not careful on how we decorate our homes, on how we decorate our Christmas trees, on, on the, the candles that we leave burning, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the way we dispose of the way we heat our homes, uh, the way we dispose of our fireplace ashes. Uh, many people think that that because they've been out, they've been out for a day that they can put them in a paper bag and put them out on the porch, and uh, and many times we'll get a very special visit from us if in fact that's the case, and and so we we 
emphasized during October um, Fire Prevention Month. We talk about everything from from home fire safety and uh, to smoke detectors, and uh, we actually are having uh, for the first time we're having a citywide open house of all of our fire stations on Saturday, cool. October thirteenth, awesome. from from ten o'clock to two o'clock. There'll mm-hmm. be there'll be um, uh, information given out and tours of the stations, tours of the apparatus. All the children will be able to to see the the fire engines up close and meet the firefighters. And uh, there'll be refreshments served. And again, that's October thirteenth at any city fire station from from ten o'clock till until two o'clock. Great, a great day for the whole family. I would just encourage great, everybody. Great, great family that. activity. Did you say free food? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That keeps coming. We're not there. serving. I know, it does, doesn't it? Best I know, we're not serving meat though. <laughs> well, well and, you know what? And yeah, I, <laughs> I be there. Well, and I have to tell you, Chief, you know, I was in the fire service for a, f- a few years. And uh, before I entered the fire service, I was 135 pounds. And uh, a couple of those wildfires and, and, and the food they put out mm-hmm. on those wildland fires is, is fires are just absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's why I look like I do today. All, it's all, <laughs> all because of the fire service, I guess. And, you know, really, the, uh, we, we talked uh, in all seriousness a little bit ago about how the fire service has changed. Uh, over the years, and and now uh, a lot of your focus actually is on uh, medical response, uh, much more so than it, the ratio I think has changed over the years. And there's just a, a high concentration now on uh, those medical types of calls. Can you just talk a little bit about how that is? Uh, that has changed over the years. Well, when I came to the Modesto Fire Department in 1982, we only responded to medical emergencies when we were requested by the ambulance company. Mm. That changed in 1986, and um, we run uh, about 65% of our emergency responses are medical emergencies. Wow. We, um, over the years, uh, it changed back in the, the late 80s, but all of our firefighters are emergency medical technicians, and we've actually added two advanced life support companies to That's our cool. fleet. Um, and we have we provide paramedicine out of two of our stations and looking to provide it out of a third station. So, Dale Butler, one of the uh, challenges with all of this, even if we have, as, as the chief has said before, these opportunities to uh, visit fire stations and uh, to install smoke detectors, all these wonderful things that are provided, uh, if we don't get the word out, and we especially if we don't get the word out uh, to people in our community who may not speak English, we're... Uh, we're missing a whole lot of people, aren't we? And talk a little bit about what's happening with the LEC and uh, the strides that are being made to make sure that all of our populations are being served in that way. And you're absolutely right in that regard, and that was one of the reasons uh, we uh, created the Latino Emergency Communications Team. And we did that um, back in January of uh, 2006. And it's uh, basically a group of um, organizations uh, not only from the Latino community, but also from the non-Latino community. And uh, we uh, are partnering uh, very effectively with uh, the County uh, Office of Emergency Services, the uh, County Chief Executive Office, and uh, along with those partners, we have partners like the uh, City of Modesto. Uh, More particularly, uh, people like uh, Chief Miguel, who has been uh, instrumental and uh, allowing uh, individuals that are a part of this team to uh, participate in uh, community emergency uh, uh, training. And uh, we really want to thank the chief for uh, all he's done in that regard because uh, through his assistance, uh, he is enabling individuals in the community to uh, go out and better serve 
the needs of the uh, community, particularly individuals who uh, don't speak English well or don't speak English at all. Yeah. So this training has been invaluable, and already um, we've uh, had the opportunity to train uh, at least 55 individuals in the uh, Latino community, and that's very significant and certainly very special. It adds to our capacity to be more effective in dealing with disasters when they occur because of this training. So we want to thank the chief for his support and assistance in that regard. This is the CERT training that we speak of. Is it this is a third yeah. training session. Uh, we uh, have graduated approximately 55 uh, individuals, and uh, we look forward to uh, working with the chief, partnering with the chief in the future to have more individuals. Uh, these are Spanish-speaking uh, individuals and non-Spanish-speaking individuals. And I might add, the uh, first uh, workshop that we had or training session uh, which uh, consisted of approximately 20 hours of training, was all done in Spanish. And we had uh, Spanish-speaking firefighters, uh, extremely qualified, uh, knowledgeable, skilled individuals that uh, provided training to community individuals. So now we have uh, those community folks that are out there uh, ready to work with uh, the fire services and the uh, Office of Emergency uh, Services come, uh, come a disaster. It's always a joy to hear about these training sessions. Chief, you want to expound on that just a little bit? Well, we have many bilingual firefighters, and, and uh, being able to take their knowledge and connect to the non-English-speaking community is just has just been a very exciting thing. Um, meeting with the people from the Latino Emergency Communications Committee and, and actually the HLC, the Hispanic Leadership Council, has been one of the more gratifying things that I've done in my career. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has been uh, – the training has been so well received and, and – they are so motivated to uh, to take it out into their community, and 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 uh, you know the 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 whole the whole purpose of us being here today, and your being here in your ministry is is serving one another. And I I've just never seen anything like um, the people that have have taken this training, their desire to go out and to to teach others, and to make sure that that all those at, at the far corners of the county are cared for. It's been wonderful. You know, one of the keys to this, Elaine, and, and we've mentioned this over and over again, but we'd like to underscore this truth, and Dale, maybe you can speak to this a little bit. Uh, there is a, a, a time in the chapter of the history of this community right now where government has its arms wide open to the community and is saying, you know, we, we, all, we can't do it ourselves. We all need to work together you know, to uh, to make this happen, whether it's uh, policing or whether it's fire, whether it's medical response, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, it just seems like right now there's a great open window uh, with government saying, look, we want to work with the community. We want to work with you. And uh, we kind of have the responsibility now, Dale, don't we, to step up to the plate and take advantage of that opportunity. We really do. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the county uh, has uh, been really uh, supportive in that regard. And uh, it was a year and a half ago that the uh, county approached us uh, asking to partner with us. And uh, this was a special uh, partnership indeed. Mm-hmm. And uh, we appreciate the uh, good ho- uh, help that uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, David Jones, who's the director of uh, uh, county uh, communications, uh, uh, has played in this regard in partnering with us. But you're absolutely right. Uh, we have to step up to the plate, too. 
and we're doing that. And uh, not only uh, are members of the Latino community by way of their organizations stepping up to the plate and participating in uh, this very uh, special effort, but we have Latino organizations as well. Mm. In fact, we have a total of 22 organizations that are now participating, including our utility companies, uh, in what we're doing. And uh, that's very special indeed. And come time of an emergency, we will be able to certainly better communicate with the Latino community. And we plan to go beyond the Latino community and hopefully incorporate other groups uh, from uh, the community that uh, don't uh, speak English or mm-hmm. have limited speaking English uh, abilities, for example, the Indo-Chinese community. Yeah. Uh, those are good possibilities, and we're looking at that at this time. Chief, what from, from your perspective, let's talk a little bit about the value of the community participating with you uh, to serve the city. And from, from your perspective as the chief, how important is that, and and uh, what would you say to people to encourage them to step up to the plate and, and get involved? Well, to add to something you said earlier about us wanting, us, us approaching the community with our arms wide open, uh, it, it's not a matter of wanting, it's needing. Mm. We, we absolutely have to have uh, the community involvement. We have to provide training to as many people as we can. And when things get difficult and when that emergency is either approaching or has struck, we have to be able to count on on people to be able to take care of themselves, to take care of them, their families, and then be willing to go out and take care of their neighbors. There are, uh, I, I've said this in many, many times, there are 175 firefighters in the city of Modesto. There are 280 police officers, and there are 210,000 people mm. that reside here, not to mention the number of people that come here to shop. And, and so at any given time, we could have 300,000 people within the city limits. And there are 400 of us, uh, 450 of us, to try to, to try to do that. That's if keeping in mind many are off duty and many are many are taking care of themselves and they're taking care of their families and they're right. taking care of their neighbors before I can have them and uh, and um, so it, it is vital that um, and as we talk about emergency preparedness and we, we look outside today, it's, it's kind of tough to get motivated to worry <laughs> about an emergency when the weather's 85 degrees yeah, and there's right. a slight wind and a beautiful blue sky. Mm-hmm. But uh, as I've said, uh, I can assure you that it will rain and, and, and the wind will blow and, you know, things, things certainly can happen. And it is vital that, that we um, get people involved in their communities to, to help. Chief, can you talk? We mentioned, Elaine, you mentioned CERT uh, training a a little bit ago. Chief, can you talk a little bit about what CERT stands for and and what it involves? Um, CERT stands for Community Emergency Response Training. And it it was discovered in in Los Angeles during the Northridge earthquake in, in I believe, 1994, um, that they actually, excuse me, they actually, uh, they needed to mobilize a large amount of community volunteers, and they really didn't have a good way to do that. So the Los Angeles City Fire Department put together a program, and uh, I don't remember what it was called when they first put it together, but it was so successful that FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, picked up on the program and um, and actually actually came out with uh, all of the, the materials, all of the tools that you would need to implement the program in your community. We picked it up about uh, about three years ago. 
And we have just to this point done the training, and it's a training course that is um, that is about uh, about 24 hours worth of training that teaches all of the basic skills. And really, it is it is uh, the the goal of it really is to first teach people to take care of themselves, the things that they need to be aware of, and things they need to do. Then to take care of their families, and if all is well and they've they've got that stable, then to go out and to help their neighbors. And uh, ultimately, we are now trying to get this group together, and and um, they're a, they're a very motivated group, and they have a desire to form a a, a cert team, a community emergency response team, and be available th- th- uh, to groups like yourselves. I mean, you would right. be able to right. call us. Uh, the Office of Emergency Services would. Um, there are so many things that a trained group of people, a group of volunteers could do in the community, everything from helping to find lost children to, to actually opening shelters and staffing shelters, whether it be at, during a major disaster, heat emergency, mm-hmm. those this, kinds of this things. This is so cool because you actually had some young people training for this as well, did you not? We did. Actually, we have had, in virtually every class, we have had uh, the youth attend with their parents. Usually they're 15 or 16 Mm -hmm. years old. Mm -hmm. We had a a large group um, from the Hispanic community. Mm -hmm. Actually, we had, I think, 18 um, young men and young women that uh, that were juniors and seniors in high school that actually attended the training and and, uh, seemed to very much enjoy themselves. Mm. That's awesome. That's great. Chief, you know, as uh, as we start the program today, and I'll hold this up to the microphone oh. so all of you can see it, but I have a picture here of Elaine in a turnout. Did you see this? I have not oh, seen it. Oh, I'm going to pass it down to you. Elaine in a turnout, and she's even got the breathing, the breathing apparatus uh, on. That, that's uh, pretty impressive, this Elaine. This was a very long time ago, Chief, and uh, we were celebrating uh, Fire Awareness Month, and this was a back east in uh, Kentucky. (laughs) But you know what, Chief? I have to say that through that experience, I walked away with a brand new respect of the gear and what you have to go through because that that stuff was very heavy. I mean, walking through with all of the the stuff you have to wear and, 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 you know, wearing all of the gear. And and actually one time one of the firefighters threw me over his shoulder and walking, you know, I was walking out of a burning building or a house. And uh, it's just really quite uh, quite extensive. And I just came walked away with a, a, a whole new respect and uh, admiration for what our firefighters uh, actually endure and go through, and it was just a, a terrific experience. But, uh, you know, our hat's off to uh, all of our, our firefighters and, and people because you just do a, a terrific job. Thank you very much. Chief, question here from one of the people in the studio here. What is the uh, cost to an individual in the, in the public to go through the CERT training? Um, there is no cost to uh, attend the CERT training. Yeah. Actually, we have been fortunate through the, uh, through the Office of Homeland Security um, we have uh, we have been able to receive grants that have paid mm. for the equipment and actually have paid for some of the instructions. So to date, we have not had to charge anyone. Awesome. And, and and you walk away with a significant amount of emergency equipment. You walk away with a backpack and a hard hat and a vest and flashlight. And there's there's uh, I think it's probably about a hundred about one hundred and fifty dollars worth of worth of emergency awesome. equipment that you walk away with. And and it's it's just the knowledge is um, is terrific. It's everything from first aid to using fire extinguishers to learning how to search and learning how to evaluate structural stability of a building, learning how to secure utilities, learning how to conserve water. 
all of the things that would be valuable for not only yourself and your family, but something you could take out in your neighborhoods? I, yeah. might, I might mention I'm a, I'm a graduate of that program, and I do carry the backpack uh, in my vehicle. In case there's an emergency, I can put it to good use. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a great thing. Well, you know, friends, whether we are uh, taking care of our neighbors in a disaster uh, situation due to weather, fire, sickness, or responding with compassion to meet a need they have, uh, it's kind of like the song the group Salvador sings entitled Neighbor. Let's listen, and we'll be back with more on Lighthouse Live. What's in a column? What's in a name? What makes us different when what we want to say? Power to Congress, a power to peace. So glad that we can worship inequality. What separates us from our fellow man? Is it the fear of what we do not understand?
Salvador on Lighthouse Live with Pastor Mike, Elaine, and our very special guest, Modesto Fire Chief Jim Miguel and Dale Butler from LEC, the Latino Emergency Commission team. And uh, it is about our neighbors, and uh, our neighbors are you and whoever we might be living next to and uh, just uh, taking care of one another in our community and during disaster time and during peace time. And uh, I tell you what, being prepared for disasters, and you were talking, Chief, about uh, being easy to just let those kinds of things go and during the good weather times and times where we just don't feel like uh, being prepared. But really, those are the times when we probably should. There is a tremendous amount of information to help families prepare for these types of events on, on our website, uh, www.modestofire.com, fema.com, www.fema.com. Um, they, they have a tremendous amount of information about, about the, the, the types of food you can keep on hand, how mm. to purify water, yes. um, how to shelter yourself, how to, how to secure utilities, um, a lot of things that would um, – we tell people that they need to be prepared to be self-sufficient. If they don't have a major emergency, um, if they are not part of our main triage system and, and there's not a fire or, or some sort of a collapse – they need to be prepared to sustain themselves and their families for 72 hours or better. And so they need to, they need to be prepared to have 72 hours worth of water, worth of food, worth of clothing, um, you know, a little bit of money. All of those things are on the, the preparation lists are on the FEMA website and on the Modesto Fire website. And um, they just, the, the, the uh, People have gone in, in a major emergency. We'll, we'll use the Loma Prieta quake, for instance. Mm -hmm. During that during that earthquake, there were some really serious events that took place. There was the Cypress collapse. There was the Marina District fire. There was the st structural collapse in the in the downtown Santa Cruz area. Mm -hmm. So people who didn't have really acute emergencies but were forced from their home because they were concerned about its structural stability, they sat in their front yard for four days waiting for help, waiting right. for somebody to come and tell them it was okay yes. to go back in. And so if they take advantage of that education or if they if they are prepared for that, then then they uh, there should be a, a peace of mind there. You know, Chief, there's another uh, upside to this training. And, and you mentioned Loma Prieta, but uh, you to go back to the uh, what we learned from the earthquake in, in, in Soviet Armenia um, and later uh, Mexico City, Northridge, certainly uh, Loma Prieta. A lot of well-meaning people were injured uh, or killed, as in the case of Mexico City and Soviet Armenia, trying to do the right thing, trying to help, but with absolutely no training and absolutely not recognizing the danger that they were walking in. Uh, you know, you, you just don't run into a, a structural collapse or a, a freeway that's uh, gone down or in, in the urban environment uh, and, and survive, even though you're well-intentioned trying to rescue someone. I would imagine this training also helps people recognize the dangers and the fact that, you know, Dead heroes are, are uh, honored, but dead heroes uh, don't help the people that are uh, in need at the moment. And uh, let's talk a little bit about the importance of having the training just to know where the dangers are and how to respect uh, a dangerous disaster environment. 
that's a difficult thing to teach when when it's not safe right. to go help. Everybody wants to help, sure. and everybody would be willing to do so. And when there's not outward signs, you know, we've had people that have come upon a structure fire and, and tried to make entry, and the heat and the smoke have pushed them out, a very physical sign that they're not going to be able to go any further. But going into a building that appears to be, that appears to be stable but is clearly not on its foundation, ready to collapse, uh, oftentimes people don't recognize the dangers involved. And so this training does help a little bit with that. Uh, you know, I think about the a lot of the media coverage of the bridge collapse yeah. that took place in Minneapolis. Right. Yes. And, and the, the praise that uh, as, those, as those vehicles entered the water, the praise of the people that were on the shore that actually extricated, actually pulled those people out of their cars, and, and dozens and dozens of people were saved by people on the shore that were willing to go into the water and, and get them and get them out and and um, I don't know that they had any training but it was a situation where it was it was it it seemed safe to do so uh, there are a lot of situations that are not safe to do so, and that's what I mean by triage. Those are the situations that we will be most likely faced with and and be taken care of. And so, those that don't have those critical situations need to be prepared to care for themselves for a little while. Amen. People's reactions during times like these are are incredible. Communities drawing together to help one another, and we have something special. In this community, Dale, would you agree? I just sense it. You know, Pastor Mike was talking about um, government uh, being willing to open their arms uh, and and all of us working together at times like this. And truly, we need to take advantage of this and and, and work together. But I I just sense something special in this community where we reside. Uh, And it's just uh, it's uh, it's a blessing. It really is. It is indeed a blessing. And uh, we do have some very special uh, uh, people, uh, giving people in our community that uh, are out in the forefront trying to help. And uh, that's going to make a big difference uh, come, uh, uh, come a disaster. And with the training that we're uh, receiving, uh, it's going to make a, an even more important uh, difference in uh, being able to help people out. Dale, you mentioned a few minutes ago that not only we're we talking about the Spanish-speaking community, but we've got Hmong in our community, uh, Laotians, uh, We've got uh, Cambodians. I mean, there are a lot of language barriers out there. And uh, what is it like for folks who uh, just, uh, they're doing their best to survive. Uh, They may not speak uh, the English language well or at all. And uh, just talk about the importance of being able to reach them and get them this kind of information. If we don't do that, do they just kind of remain isolated for a long time? Well, that was the uh, whole reason why uh, we created the uh, Latino Emergency Communications Team, so that doesn't happen. So, indeed, we reach out into the community. We will be translating, have done that already, uh, materials in English into uh, different languages. Certainly, we've done that in Spanish, but we plan to do that in other languages as well. That will be very meaningful. Then, of course, you have uh, Spanish uh, speaking uh, radio programs, TV programs. We plan to do a lot of uh, media advertising by way of uh, those programs in the future. Uh, But already a lot of work has been done in that regard, and it's just a matter of uh, continuing the good effort uh, to make uh, an important difference uh, come a disaster. The the grassroots 
communication system, the communications tree, if you will, that has been established in the community is is phenomenal. And and that's really, uh, when we talked about this and talked about what we needed to overcome, much of the community, you know, we, we cannot rely on newspaper and, and television to get our message out because there are many people, the people that need us most, probably don't get the newspaper and probably aren't going to see the news, don't have a television set, whatever the case may be, the people that are going to need our help the most. And so there had to be some other means of communication, uh, first, to identify where these people are, and second, to identify somebody who is responsible for getting that word out to that segment of the the county. And uh, and it's coming together. It's just amazing. And and, – and it's happening so fast that that uh, we are not directing this work. We are just mm-hmm. making suggestions as it as it goes along. We've kind of been kind of been sucked sucked up by this, and it's just that it's really been a lot of fun. One of the really cool things that I've noticed and I've enjoyed is um, other people coming from other communities, Merced and Fresno, mm-hmm. to see what Stanislaw County is doing and, and asking questions and saying, hey, well, this is really cool. How can we implement these things in, in our areas? And that's been, that's been a, a neat thing. In fact, I uh, just had a meeting in uh, Merced uh, County uh, about a week and a half ago. And I had the uh, the honor of uh, meeting with the uh, mayor of uh, Livingston and a uh, member of the Board of Supervisors, some fire personnel, working through uh, Congressman Cardoso's office. Uh, and they wanted to hear what we in Stanislaus County were doing with respect to the establishment of the Latino Emergency Communications Team because they were interested in replicating mm-hmm. our program in their county. And uh, at our last uh, LEC meeting, Approximately a week ago, we had two representatives from the American Red Cross from Merced County in attendance at our meeting. They're taking back information uh, to their county, and hopefully they will have a similar program in that county. So to the extent that we can replicate what we're doing here, because we are really pioneering. This is a, a first of a kind. It's a historical effort. It's never never been done before when it comes to having a Latino emergency communications team so we are pioneering. Hopefully uh, other jurisdictions, certainly Merced and other jurisdictions, will pick up on that and have similar programs. Friends, we've got much more on Lighthouse Live right after this. Deep needs, deep hurts, spreading far beyond the government's ability to help. Children, single moms and dads, the elderly, disabled, the homeless. Yet... Thousands of resources that can meet those needs are sitting right now in the pews and seats of our churches. The challenge? Activating those resources and connecting them with the people in need. We have a proven solution, advancing vibrant communities. We bridge the gap. We connect people and churches with opportunities to serve the needs of their neighbors. Pure, simple, proven effective, advancing vibrant communities. What's our motivation? Jesus' command in Matthew 22:39 to love your neighbor as yourself. The church at large has a biblical mandate to serve the needs of the community. Advancing vibrant communities researches those needs, then finds volunteers with the skills and passions to meet those needs. The very first story that Mike told about ABC involves serving one of my church members whose needs I could not meet within my own community. 
And in that moment, God humbled me and asked me to open my heart and really listen. And as I saw the setup of the database, I realized that AVC is a wonderful partner with my own congregation. It helps us be more effective. This organization comes along and says, I'll do a lot of the groundwork and we'll discover the needs. And then those folks in your congregation who desire to be a part and who have these skills can volunteer. AVC partners with over 80 community and government agencies to help meet the needs of the city. We network with organizations like Habitat for Humanity, the American Red Cross, Salvation Army, the Area Agency on Aging, the School District, and the Police Department. Habitat and AVC is a perfect match in that we both have common missions of helping people get out of the four walls of the church, getting out into the community and helping others. AVC serves volunteers by finding ways for them to help others. AVC serves the needy through volunteer efforts with love, grace, mercy, and compassion. AVC serves churches by augmenting efforts to reach out and meet the needs of their neighbors. AVC serves businesses by helping create healthy neighborhoods, by connecting employees with opportunities to volunteer, and by providing opportunities to donate goods and services to legitimate needs in the community. Well, it works. And I, I, I believe that as in our companies, as being uh, formerly a businessman in, in, in Stanislaus County and, and uh, other counties in the state as, as, as well, that uh, our companies were only as, as successful as our weakest link. And I believe that to be the same case in our communities and in our cities, that we can only be as much as we're going to be based upon the capacity and the ability of others to participate at an increased level and quality of, of life. You know, some of us can do, donate a little money, some a little time, some one or the other or both. It really touched my heart that these strangers were interested in me and what I needed in my life. You know, it's not only hearing it, but it's seeing them and it's being there in person and seeing the, the need that they have and hopefully being able to do something about it. I will tell you, as you know, your chief of police in the city of Modesto, we need your help in the community making a difference. Volunteer, I know we can put you to work. And I, I promise you, if you get involved, you'll feel better. You'll be happier. How can we partner with you to meet the needs of our city? We ask you to consider monthly financial support and to help recruit more volunteers. Advancing vibrant communities, faith in action, pure, simple, proven effective, carrying out the biblical mandate to love our neighbors as ourselves. Thank you. And we're back with you on Lighthouse Live and uh, so glad to be taking part in the Fire Awareness Month with uh, Modesto Fire Chief Miguel and Dale Butler, our very special guest tonight. And, uh, you know, as we celebrate and uh, as we observe uh, Fire Awareness Month, Chief, we want to uh, we want to share with our uh, listeners and certainly our volunteers who have been out. And I know that you have been uh, active this month, and certainly the Eagle Scouts, the Boy Scouts, out replacing batteries and 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 smoke detectors out for people who cannot do that for themselves. You want to talk a little bit about that? That's another very exciting partnership that we that the Modesto Fire Department has formed. That's with the, that's been with the Boy Scouts of America. Mm. 
boys that are working on their, they have to do an Eagle project uh, to get their Eagle Scout. And so we have been working with them to organize smoke detector and battery replacement drives mm -hmm. in our mobile home parks in the city. And that has been very exciting. I think we've had n uh, 10 boys now mm -hmm. who have completed their Eagle project through the smoke mm -hmm. detector and battery mm -hmm. installation. That's and we, um, you know, this being Fire Prevention Month and also a month in which we, we turn back our clocks, uh, actually, we, we put, turn them forward. Uh, we like to remind people that when when they change their clocks, they need to change the batteries in their smoke detectors. Um, we have on our website, we have uh, homeowner checklists and fire safety checklists, and we have all kinds of information to prevent fires. But when it comes to preventing injuries from fires, the single most important thing that you can do for yourself or your family is to have a functional smoke detector in your home. We, we would love to think that, that through our efforts we have gotten a functional smoke detector in every residence in this city, but we know that's not the case. And we, are, uh, we have smoke detectors that uh, we actually give away. The firefighters will come out and install these smoke detectors. All you need to do, if you need a smoke detector, you need your smoke detector checked, all you need to do is call the fire department, the business line of the fire department, and an engine company will come out and they will check your smoke detector. If you need a new one, we will install a new one for free. We received a, a very, very generous grant from Walmart Corporation for, for the smoke detectors. Awesome. And, uh, and I cannot emphasize enough just how important it is. Uh, there's a lot of reasons that uh, that people give for not putting them in. Um, some are, are are placed too close to the kitchen or too close to a bathroom, and they're set off for for reasons other than a fire. Um, it's important that you move those to a place where they won't be set off by the cooking or won't be set off by the by the uh, steam of the shower. But it's so important that uh, every every home in this city, every home in this county for that matter, um, have a functional smoke detector. And if you need one, call your local fire department. Absolutely. That's the reason I don't cook at home anymore. Is that <laughs> I, I said all of you know, so I've, I've been banished to cooking outside, which is okay because you don't need the smoke detector out there. set something off out there that, too, but that's that another show it. in itself. You know, it's just like wearing a seat belt. It's going to save lives, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, it's just uh, so important, and, and that's a, a great thing that they are out there. And, and is there any way, Chief, in, in, in knowing how many people uh, need these? things or determining the, the need that's out there, because I know we want to involve our ABC volunteers in doing this, too, and I know we've talked about that, and, and it's just, it's critical that these people have a, a way of, of uh, obtaining the needed batteries and smoke detectors that need them. I think beyond the, the projects that we've worked with the scouts in the mobile home parks, and we've done that because we've started in the mobile home parks, one because, one because they're, they have a high elderly population, mm -hmm. and, and two, the, the last thing we want the elderly doing is getting up on chairs or ladders and, and messing with their smoke detectors. Um, and, and there's a, there's a, um, in some of the older mobile homes, there is a fire risk that, that fire tends to spread very quickly, and it's unfortunate, but it's, it's true, and so we want to make sure that those those people are protected, but we hope that that when we're as we get the volunteers, that we will actually move into neighborhoods and be able to go through, whether it be blocks at a time or neighborhoods at a time, and go through and just go door to door and knock on doors and and ask if we can if we can test them if they don't work put a new battery in. If they don't have them, then install a smoke detector for them. Oh, well, big thanks Amen. to the Boy Scouts and all those who helped out on that project. 
Chief, one of the uh, challenges that I, I think any governmental agency, and especially in public service, has, and that's to do more with less, you know, in terms of budget. I mean, the challenge, you, you gave us the ratio of how many police and, and firefighters there are out there compared to their growing population. What are, what are some of the challenges that are out there now that our people can pray for? And uh, then after they get off their knees, also get out and, and start participating in to, to solve uh, for the city. What, what are some of the major challenges facing us right now? Well, I think the first thing that, uh, that I would ask is that for the, the police officers and the firefighters in this county and, and certainly all over, but, but specifically for our agencies, uh, we, we ask for their prayers for their safety. Um, there, there's very rarely a time that I hear a siren that I don't, I don't utter a, a silent prayer, especially when I know it's one of, one of our units that is, that is headed into harm's way. Um, I think that uh, I think sometimes we fail to uh, be prayerful for our society. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is a it's a challenge nowadays, and and things are um, things that become a struggle for many families and many individuals. And and uh, prayer the uh, prayers that that uh, that they will see the need to turn their lives around or see the need to make good choices, and and so we can improve the the quality of the society we live in. Mm-hmm. Amen. And Dale, how about for you? What what? Uh... Well, I uh, certainly agree with the uh, chief. Uh, law enforcement, firefighter personnel uh, perform a, a very very important societal function, and uh, we need to, of course, as uh, community residents, citizens, uh, give them our our full support. There are many people that are extremely needy out there in the in our communities, and to the extent that. People uh, like myself, volunteers, uh, can work to uh, hopefully make a little difference to uh, perhaps uh, connect them with uh, those resources that are available. That's going to be very meaningful. And, uh, you know, people, uh, I certainly encourage them to uh, step up to the plate and uh, volunteer their time because, uh, you know, their services could be very valuable indeed in helping others that need assistance. Yes, and we want to encourage people about that special date on October 13th coming up, Chief. Our our uh, fire prevention open house, every fire station in the city of Modesto will be open from 10 o'clock until 2 o'clock, just waiting for their neighbors to come through and, and see the station, see the apparatus, and, and gather up some very valuable information about safety. Very quick, uh, Chief, and then Dale, how can people get a hold of you with more questions or get a hold of your staff? Uh, our, our website, uh, www.modestofire.com. Or our business phone, uh, it is in the phone book under Modesto Fire Department under the business. It's uh, 572-9590, and we'd certainly love to, to take those inquiries and, and phone calls and direct them to to where to the help that they need. Modesto Fire Chief Jim McGill, thank you so much. Dale Butler, thank you. Thank you, dear listeners, wherever you happen to be. Just uh, have a great week. Don't forget to join us next week. Our special guest will be YWAM, Youth with a Mission. Until then, have a great week, and may God continue to bless you.